I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Away for another Vaughan boundary. <laughs> Well, he's a great fieldsman, Philip Tuffner. He often falls over and he's brought it into his batting as well. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Vaughan and Tuffers Cricket Club podcast brought to you by The Telegraph. Ben Wright, Michael Vaughan and Phil Tufnell with you as always. Test cricket is back, but unfortunately for England, they were brought back down to earth with a sobering defeat to South Africa at Lords in the first of three tests between the two sides. Ben Stokes' men looked a bit more like the side that went down so meekly in the ashes over the winter, rather than one that roared back to life under the new coach, Brendan McCullen at the beginning of the summer. We'll unpack the opening test and ask where it went wrong for England. We're very lucky that we'll also be getting the verdict of former Proteus skipper Graham Smith on the podcast. We'll get his take on a ruthless display of bowling from the South Africans and whether or not he thinks England can turn the series around from here. He's also going to talk to us about the new T20 Cricket League in South Africa, of which he is commissioner, and why he thinks Test Cricket is doomed to only be contested by five or six teams in the near future. We'll also be talking about Ben Stokes. His documentary, Phoenix from the Ashes, is out later this week, and we'll be getting the latest on the 100 from Phil, too. All right, morning, chaps. Uh, how are you? It's uh, Michael who is on his uh, travels now. He's out of the country. Where are you, Mike? Uh, I, I'm in uh, Portugal. Um, I, I got a bit of sunstroke yesterday, uh, guys, I'm afraid. It, it might have um, coincided with an odd oyster or two. So you imagine my evening's been a little bit, um, yeah, to and fro from the bathroom, I'm afraid. Oh, so, sorry uh, to hear that. Yeah, I'm bat- battling a bit, but, you know, I'll get with the sunshine and I'll be back out there today. Mike, Mike, when you're on holiday, what sort of hat do you wear? Well, I think that's the issue yesterday, Phil. Um, I played um, paddle tennis in the morning with no hat on. Oh. And then I, I went for some nice bit of sea bass and a, a glass of uh, rosé or two, went on the beach and the sea down here in Portugal, I don't, I'm sure you've been, it's very, very cold. Yeah. Very cold. So once you're in, you've got to stay in because you don't want to get out to get back in. And the problem is, I think the sun was beating down on my head. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I got a bit of the stroke. Um, and then I watched Man United last night and had a couple more. And, and as you do, it's just it's just one after another. And 
eventually you wake up at four in the morning, you, you kind of go, ooh, 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 there's something not quite right here. No. Ooh, and then it was just, it was just, a, you, know, like, you know, like the bleep test. It was like the bleep <laughs> test to, from the bathroom to the bed. Beep. And, and, the, and the beeps were getting closer together. <laughs> well, it, yeah, it was getting quick. Beep, beep, beep. Yeah, it was getting far too quick. Um, but I think I, I've got these tablets I'm taking, uh, hydration tablets, and I, I think they're, they're doing a decent job. They're getting me back on track. Sounds like you're getting more runs than the England Test team. Uh, yeah, that was very good, Ben. Um, but I have to say, um, w- w- the bump in the road came, didn't it? And it was an almighty bump. Um, and it, there'll be another one. It might be at Old Trafford with the style that England are trying to play. I- I'm not going to criticise them too much because I actually love watching them play. They're stupid at times and they play a brand that's going to get them into that position of being blown away by quality team, particularly quality bowling lineups like South Africa have. But I have to say, you, you can't stop watching England. You know, you mm. can't because they're entertaining. They're trying to do something. And I, I always talk about Ben Stokes as a captain that I just hope in time he's not just a one-trick pony. I just hope that he, 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 he understands that you can't just play that way all the time. You know, you've got to earn the right to play that aggressive style against quality ball and particularly pace. You know, when you've got the pace of Nokia, uh, Rabada, Janssen, left arm, great variation. You've got a wily spinner in Maharaj. You can't just go for the attacking option all the time. So I'm hoping, and it wasn't just with the bat, I thought with the field settings, Phil, and you were there on that second day when, when the field was set so aggressively that it allowed South Africa, particularly in that last hour and a half in day two, to score so quickly. They ended up with a lead of 120 after day two. It should have been a lead of around 80, I reckon. 80 by the closing day two, but he had so many gaps. South Africa scored freely. Um, so I think it was a three days where Ben, if he's, you know, really wanting to be an outstanding captain, he's an entertaining captain, he's done brilliantly so far, but if he wants to be an outstanding captain, he's just got to play the game a little bit more in terms of, yes, be aggressive when you can, but sometimes just sit in and play the longer game. Yeah, no, couldn't agree more. The, the new ball was uh, something like three overs away, wasn't it, on the next morning? And so you, you had that opportunity just to sit in. Listen, you can still keep two slips and a gully in in that situation. It was coming towards the end of the day. Sit in, have the extra, you know, have the deep square leg, perhaps have a deep cover. And you say you would have been, the lead would have been 50 or 60 light. But um, I was impressed with that South African bowling lineup. They look like a team who have come over here and, and want to put the flag in the ground. That Nokia bowled the speed of light. You had the um, beautiful shape and swing of Rabada. Um, I mean, you forgot Ngidi there, who I thought bowled beautifully as well, Mike, yeah. as well, was a little bit up not to get uh, uh, the run. So it is going to be difficult. I think, you've, I think England have got to try and get those seam bowlers uh, and fast bowlers into their second and third spells somehow because they were just fresh as a daisy every time a new batsman was coming in and we didn't get any sort of overs into their legs. They were just steaming in at us and they blew us away, to be fair. We didn't seem to have a plan about how to just overcome them and then start looking to go through the gears. It was like, let's go through the gears from ball one and you can't do that at 95 miles an hour when it's swinging around corners. No, and I think the, the, the plan for England now is if they're asked to bat first at Old Trafford, 
they have to play differently. Yeah. yeah. You know, chasing the game against New Zealand, um, against India, remarkable what they achieved. And on many of those games, they were behind the game. You know, at, uh, Trent Bridge, New Zealand got 500, England won that game. Uh, chasing down over 300 at Headingley. Uh, being behind the game against India in that first innings to go on and win that game was remarkable. But batting first, and generally in England, when you bat first, it does a little bit more in the first session because there's a bit of moisture in the surface. So if you, if you come out playing all the shots like England did on that first morning at Lords, where it was a good toss to win, there was a lot of oh. kind of mugginess around the ground and it was going to win. But that is what I'm saying about Ben's team. They've got to realise that and just try and get to lunch two down. They're, you're always going to lose a wicket or two in those conditions, but don't lose five or six playing big shots and thinking that you have to score at four and fives all the time. Now, I looked at that Alex Lee shot as an opening batter on the opening morning of a test match at Lords. That was a really poor shot. A length ball trying to punch it. That's a really, really poor shot for an opening batter. Uh, and that puts pressure on the, the, the middle order then when you lose two early wickets. Um, you know, that opening partnership is an issue. Yeah, Zach Crawley, what's what's to be done there? I mean, it's, it seems like the, the England management have backed him so much now that he's almost undroppable. But something's got to give at some point. Uh, I, I just think sometimes you, you're almost crueler by playing him. Mm. You know, I think he's a young player that has talent. Um, I, I don't think he has a method of scoring quite right in his own mind to, to understand what he's about in terms of how he's going to score you know, against the new ball when he gets in, where's his scoring zones? I, I'm not too sure where he understands that quite yet. But he's young enough, in my opinion, to be taken out of the firing line to go away and work and then come back again. You know, I, I just feel if you carry on playing him and it goes worse and worse and worse, it might be harder for him to come back again. Yeah. Um, who's to replace him? That's always the question. All right, saying get rid of someone. Who's to replace him? Um, it would be uh, square pegs in round holes, but Harry Book is playing incredibly yeah. and you can't tell me that he would do any worse so that'd be my way to go uh, Alex Lees needs to improve he played okay in the second innings but I just think he's getting himself confused slightly with this method that England are trying to play that he's trying to be this he's trying to be Matthew Hayden mm. and I'll give you a clue he's not <laughs> he's not Matthew Hayden he's Alex Lees who's been developed at Yorkshire played nicely at Durham on stodgy kind of wickets that do a bit He's a typical opening batter, in my opinion. That needs to give himself time to get in, and then he can go up in the gears once he's given himself time. He's not a player that's going to come out crashing it regularly and be consistent. Yeah. So I would go Brooke at the top of the order um, uh, and just give that a go. He's not an opening batter. He, he's not batted in the top three, but I just think they may tr as well try something different to what they're uh, they're going with at the minute. Or they go with Zach Crawley in the way of someone like Keaton Jennings, who's been playing nicely for Lancashire. Yeah. Phil, Phil, what did you make of uh, Brandon McCullen's comments about uh, Crawley? Because he was saying that he doesn't have the style to be a consistent player. That's not what they're looking for from him. And that's that's caused some people to start scratching their heads because in some ways he has been consistent, just not in a good way. What did, what did you make of that? Well, I, I know what Brendan's trying to say there. What he's trying to say is that, um, you know, through uh, opening the batting is always going to be an inconsistent art form, so to speak, isn't it? You know, you're probably going to get one out of three knocks where you get yourself in and have the opportunity to then go and score. So I don't think Brendan's necessarily worried about the times when he's going to fail. He just wants the time that when he... It is his time to go out and win England a test match. That's what he's trying to say, I think. And, uh, you know, but then you've got to get yourself in to go and do that. 
But um, I think that people have sort of like got on the wrong end of the stick about that. You know, it's all about inconsistency. Well, you know, we're, we're trying to get consistent and all that kind of thing. I think that Brendan's highlighted in Zach Crawley that he has the opportunity and the tools that he's got. He has the ability to then change games for England and he doesn't want to take that one innings, let's say, out of three and four away from him. He wants to sort of like obviously work on sort of trying to get that consistency in his game, but make sure that that, that gun performance that we have seen in him, you know, is still there. Talking of Ben Stokes, he's all over the, the front pages of the papers this morning. Um, not not really about cricket or only tangentially. He's been giving interviews about his mental health, the death of his father, and even that incident outside the nightclub in Bristol for the first time. Head of um, the release of a documentary that's coming out in Amazon, on Amazon called Phoenix from the Ashes, um, which covers some of his darkest days. It's not out yet, but I think you've seen it, haven't you, Mike? Yeah, I've seen it. Um, it it's, it's, it's typical Ben Stokes. Very revealing, very emotional. Um, uh, particularly the footage of Ben with his father. Um, very exciting as well. The Henley moment relived yeah. is just oh, incredible. The World Cup final. Um, he alludes to calling someone in a suit or uh, someone in a suit from the ECB wanting a, a selfie after the 2019 World Cup. I think he tells him to F off. Uh, not it too. Tells, sure. tells him to f off because he didn't. He didn't like how he was treated by some of the suits in the ECB following um, following the incident in Bristol. Right. I particularly think it's the the person that he he tells to f off. I don't think that person um, Ben felt treated him quite fairly hmm. throughout that process. So look, it's Ben Stokes. He, he's box office. It's a, it's it's well worth a watch. It really is. It's very and it's great for cricket because you do get into the emotions of of, of how hard it is. Yeah. You know, he's an, an incredible performer, but how hard it is to win a World Cup. How hard it is to obviously playing things like he did at Henley, how hard it is to deal with off-field uh, difficulties he's had more than most. Um, and obviously his mental well-being and mental health uh, situation, which is well-documented, is very, very honest about it. So um, it, it's well worth a watch. Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't seen it yet, but I've been reading the interviews in the papers this morning, uh, one in the Telegraph by Jeremy Wilson. And he's talking about watching it back himself. And um, I think it includes two interviews conducted by Sir Sir Sam Mendes, who's the Oscar-winning film director, also a massive cricket fan. And one of those was conducted just two weeks after he announced his indefinite departure from cricket in July 2021, when he was at his own admission at his lowest step. And he says he's watching it back and it's like, there's nothing behind his eyes. He's a sort of husk of a guy. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's... uh... You know, to do a movie like this is, uh, and, and also to do it so so young, mm. you know, really, he's got so many years ahead of him in terms of what he could achieve as a Test match captain, giving up the 50-over game, but there's the T20 World Cups. There's so much more for Ben to do in his life that um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's another one. Yeah. yeah. I think there might be a part two. <laughs> Rocky five. <laughs> Those those things can be very sort of cathartic, if that's the right word, uh, to do those kind of things. You can grow from them a lot. I can remember when I did a couple of my books, uh, you know, I really did enjoy just spending that time, as you say, sort of turning yourself around and looking back at yourself. You can get a lot from them and grow from them a lot. So in, in, in a way, it, 
people think, oh, you're revealing so much about you. It can sort of, you know, it can weaken you. And, you know, you shouldn't be telling all these people about all your sort of inner secrets and dark days and things. Sometimes it can be very uplifting and it takes that weight off your shoulders. So I I expect it to be a good thing, not only for us all to watch, because it's going to be very interesting, but also for Ben as well. I think it can be sort of like shedding a bit of a, shedding your skin a bit. We are joined today in the gap between the test at Lords and Old Trafford by South Africa's greatest ever captain, Graham Smith. Graham, thanks for joining us. Um, first things first, what did you make of South Africa's win at Lords? It was pretty emphatic. Were you expecting that? And um, you're obviously a keen observer of South African uh, cricket. How good is this team and especially the, the four-pronged pace attack? Hey, Ben. Uh, firstly, thanks for having me. Always good to... Uh join this uh, esteemed crowd um, yeah, uh, from from my perspective I mean it obviously was a fantastic few days at Lords it was great to be back there I mean not being able to get back to the UK with COVID and everything else it was almost surreal to to be back in the UK enjoying cricket um, yeah I mean going into the series I, I honestly thought it would be the two bowling attacks and and uh, you know who, who could scrap a scrap a decent total at some point you know I think both batting lineups have their um, their, their problems uh, I think South Africa scrapped really well to to get to a total um, which ultimately was the difference but yeah I, I think th- that four uh, pace attack is something that is very exciting I, I, I don't know what the, the wicket looks like in Manchester I know they're very keen to go two spinners as well with Harmer in, in the lineup so I think the, the approach is to always be aggressive with the ball uh, from a South African perspective. You know, they're not looking to cover their bases with that extra, extra batter. Um, but I think it's just such a nice all-round attack, isn't it? I mean, when you've got, mm. I think, Maharaj uh, is solid. You know what you're going to get from him. You've got a left armor tall, swings it. You've got the pace of Nokia. Rabada, as a, I mean, and, I mean, I, I don't know how, I think Rabada's still under 25. I could be wrong. But I mean, that, that attack is young. It can grow, you know, into the future as well. Uh, big Bird, as I call you. Um, I've never really asked you this, but um, before I ask you about the Test match at Lord, have you? Uh, do you take great pleasure in seeing off England uh, Test captains? <laughs> uh, do you sit? Do you, do you sit back and think? You know what? I got rid of Nasser. I got rid of Vaughan. I got rid of Strauss. Nice big glass of red wine. See you, lads. It's an unusual I mean, hat trick. One of those things that other people like to celebrate more than than me, I guess. You know, wherever I go, it's like an interesting topic. But listen, I, I can't say I was disappointed to see the back and ass after you know he called me what's his name and introduced me as Greg at the toss. You know, I missed seeing Nas and Lord. I was waiting to get my pound of flesh in there, but uh, he was hiding away. But. Uh, no, you know, Vaughan, I, I think if I looked at the three, I think touring England is a massive thing in South African cricket. I started as a youngster, you know, uh, I think, you know, that our, our success away from home, probably from, you know, that 08 to 2012 as well, you know, in England and Australia was, was a huge moment in South African cricket. It's things that had never been achieved. So... I think a lot of these things is also around timing. I, I would probably say I was most emotional about yours because we kind of started together, built together. I mean, you you had the wood over me at, 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 a, at a few times as well. Um, so when you walked away, I think that was the one that probably affected me most. Uh, I guess with, with the Andrew Strauss one, there was so much happening on and off the field at the time that, uh, you know, we were pushing hard to be number one in the world. 
and ultimately you just get so driven by by the moments that are in front of you you know so uh, yeah i would say probably is a balance but listen there's some good red wine here to to, to think about <laughs> light the fire <laughs> graham tough as here mate nice to, nice to speak to you um what was that ride like getting to number one and and what do you sort of put it down to Toughest, you know, I got given the captaincy at 22, so I think that first four years was a journey. Uh, you know, everywhere I went, you you kind of being taken on. You know, from media to public to the opposition teams that you're playing against. So you kind of, I think in the the early days, I formed a, a real sort of barrier around myself. I think the strengths that I had was that you know behind the scenes I had good support from the senior players. You know, I, I had a good connection with with the people in the environment, but you know the only real skill I had on the field was determination, you know, and I think the one thing that kept me in the job in those earlier years was the fact that, um, you know, I scored runs. I managed to maintain scoring, you know, runs in those first four years. It was only really, you know, around, you know, 2006, 2007, I'd been in the job for four odd years. I was 26 that I really started to kind of, okay, now I've got to figure this this out. I've got to start building a team that I'm proud of. Um, And then I started you know, really spent some time understanding that, trying to understand the job. Uh, and that's when we started to build that team of Stain, Morkel, Philander eventually came in, you know, the Yamlers, the De Villiers, uh, they were the youngsters coming through. We started to move away from uh, from a cricket perspective. We moved, South African cricket had a lot of all-rounders at that period. You know, if you think about the early journeys, you know, a lot of batting deep, a lot of all-rounders. We, we, we then started to focus on more specialists in that period. So bowlers to take wickets, uh, we found a consistent option with the spin with Paul Harris. And we really started to build a team and, and a batting unit. And, and that ultimately then became the success that we built on. And I think obviously my experience and growth from that period also played a, played a big role. And, and Smithy, you mentioned building a team. Um, ben Stokes is at the start of building a team, building a, a culture, an ethos around how he wants his team to play. So far, he's he pretty much got the Ferrari and put it in sixth gear, and that's the way he wants to play. Uh, Basball, we don't like calling it Basball, but it's kind of a, a terminology that's been used over the last few months about Ben McCullen's team playing this aggressive nature. Is it sustainable, and what have you made of it? Well, he looks to be 100% committed to it, which uh, I guess is a start. But with these things, Vaughn, I think you know, once you're in the job for a period of time, balance is always important. I think also understanding how to be successful in different environments is also a key factor. You know, you, I don't think you can approach every game, every environment with the same in the same approach. You know, if you're touring Pakistan or India or Australia, you know, even the different conditions you'll face around around England, you know, you you need to to mould your thing. Yes, your your mindset can be that we we're going to look to be positive, we're going to look to be taking the game on but it's impossible to play that way sometimes you've got to adapt you know you've got to be able to read the situation in front of you and I had it I remember having a chat to KG before this test and he was asking me about mental strength and often mental strength for me was knowing what needed to be done at the right time you know how do I maximize my performance at the right time that can benefit the team do I read the play can I perform in, in that moment and, and get us to a position where we ultimately ahead of the game and an opportunity to win the game so like for me I think there's there's got to be more to it. Maybe there is more depth behind the scenes, you know, in the way that they talk, in the way that they analyze. Um, but I think, you know, those are important factors. And as Ben grows in the job, he's going to realize that. You, you, you know, you you, you learn, uh, you bump your head, you make the mistakes, you do things well, and then you, you kind of mold your approach, I think, as you go along. I mean, I, I'm sure you experienced the same. 
Um, Graham, you you were captain for 108 tests for for South Africa. What do you see as the art of captaincy? What do you put down your success to? Sure, uh, I think to go that long, you need a form of maybe maybe stupidity, but uh, <laughs> you know resilience and an ability to handle pressure. I think is 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 massive. I think how you process pressure is is important as well because. I'm sure, you know, Tuffers and Vaughn, you know, there were moments when you wake up in the morning that you don't really want to get out of bed. I mean, I, I remember that 150 at Edgebest and Vaughn, I, I actually, the day before was a really tough day for us. We were ahead of the game. We let it slip. You guys got to a position. And I remember that morning struggling to get out of bed. You know, you feel the pressure. You, your body sore. Your mind sore. You, but then you find a way to kind of, you know, get into the contest and compete. Uh, so I think those... Those those days are there. You've got to be able to overcome them and, and to deal with them. But I think, you know, once you've built the squad, you feel in control, um, and 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 you're still motivated. Then you know, then it's then it's, I think it's a lot easier to do. I think it's when you start to reach that point. And I think that happened to me at the end of my career. You know, we were on top of the world. Gary Kirsten was our coach. We had a great team. I was in control. A lot of the things were being managed around around me as well so and I was really enjoying it then Gary stepped away you know then suddenly Callis retired and and then a, a new younger coach came in and I just realized I don't have the energy or the ability to go five steps back and do this all again you know mm -hmm. so you know when you've invested so much time and effort in building that environment to what it is and now you've got to go back to do it again I just didn't have that uh, yeah. in me so that's the end why I walked away do you think uh, leaders are, are born or made? Because it, it, obviously you you were made captain at 22. It seemed like, I mean, you probably wouldn't say you were fully formed at that stage and that you developed through your captaincy, but you obviously had the uh, leadership ability almost fairly innately. I, I do think it's a, I mean, it's an, I mean, how many books have been written on leadership? I do think it's a skill. It, you know, you, you do inherit large parts of it. It doesn't mean that you're a, you can't grow. I mean, ultimately, every in every every environment you're in, there's different aspects that you need to to develop as a leader. You know, so you can be a great leader in this one thing, but you move into a new environment and you've got to develop. But the certain fundamental skills, I think, are important. Um, so I, when I look at myself, as you know, I think I certainly was born with the. I, I craved leadership. I, I craved to be at the forefront. Um, you know, I wanted to be leading the environment, and I think that's important. Um, you cannot. I don't think in in the sports world in particular, when you've got so much pressure on you, you can be a reluctant leader. And and that's what I was going to be interesting to watch with Ben, with his body, with his uh, sort of mental health stuff that he's had going on, with the pressure of captaining England. You know, how long can he cope with that? Especially if things don't always go well. You know, that's going to be how he regroups and recovers from that is going to be key. Yeah, you talk you talk about wanting to be a leader. I remember when you were first made captain and touring England in two thousand and three at the age of twenty two reading an article saying that you had written a list of things you wanted to achieve as a kid and stuck it on your fridge. Um, I remember being quite freaked out by that because I was 26 and I still didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. Is, is, is there anything that you've still got on it that you haven't crossed off yet? Nah, you know, it wasn't just something that I, I, I sucked out of my thumb, you know, it's just, uh, I, I was picked uh, as a youngster, like that kind of happened for me quite a lot. I was picked ahead of myself in age groups. And so I was exposed to a lot of older people, older cricketers, 
all the time, you know. Uh, um, and I was picked for this Plascon Academy. It's like a youngster academy. It used to be run by Conrad Hunt, the former West Indian uh, in South Africa. And he brought in a psychologist. I'll never forget him, Dr. Andre Rue. And he was big on breathing and goal setting. And, and in there, he kind of, we had these sessions where he sat us down and taught us about goal setting. And we had to, we had to then write our goals. Um, but ultimately, you put your own goals, short-term, medium-term, long-term. So I had I actually had those goals down um, from there. So I was kind of taught about it, but you know, yeah. ultimately, it's my own goals, yeah. Uh, Smithy, any reason why you put the, the, the list on the fridge? <laughs> later, later in life, the fridge became a problem, but uh, when I was young, it wasn't. Smithy, what, what what do you recommend? What would you recommend to Ben, as you say? Because as a captain, you go through ups and downs, don't you? And you're going to have periods when things aren't going your way. What was your sort of way or path out of that? Did you have a sort of a routine for that? So I, I had a routine of prepping myself, uh, the team as well. But also then you've got to focus on your personal game. So you've got to learn to balance that entire... I mean, I opened the batting as well. So, for example... You know, I developed a routine in the changeover before I had to bat. So I knew that, you know, my brain would almost transfer into batting mode instead of being in captaining mode. So I would, you know, I, people, it wasn't superstition. It was just a routine. I would change my boots. I'd change my whole gear. I'd pad up a certain way. You know, I'd have a routine that, that in that 10-minute changeover that my brain started to understand, okay, now it's batting time. We're going to leave captaincy. And it's the same kind of, you know, when you're building to test matches or big games. I guess the key for Ben is right now, you know, just from the outside, it looks like he's really focused and, you know, stuck in a way. And this is how he wants to play. This is how he wants to take England forward. But over time, and he's got a good guy with him in, in, in Vaz, who's, who's very balanced and, you know, has, you know, a really good way of handling people, you know. But for him, he's got to find that outlet for himself, someone that he trusts, someone that he can communicate with. Because often as a leader, you find yourself in that lonely position where, you know, you've got so much in your head and you need to process it. And you don't know if it's right or wrong. So, you know, just having someone that he has that outlet with that he can debate things with or, or, or chat to and, and take that uh, and, and take that forward. So I think that's going to be important for him as time goes on. And Smithy, you mentioned people. Um, as one of the, and I'm not just saying it because you're on the pod, one of the great um, opening batters of this era uh, with that massive front pad whipping it through mid-wicket on a regular basis. So I reckon we must have had four. Oh, I dread to think how many hours of meetings of how to get you out and how to stop you scoring. Uh, you've not only got rid of three England captains, but you've caused chaos in team meetings over many, many years. Um, what, what do you make of the opening partnership for England in Zach Crawley and Alex Lees? Having watched it live and watched a bit on TV, it, it doesn't bring confidence to me. And, and, and the reason I'm saying that is I'm not saying they're not good players. In particular, let's just focus on Zach Crawley. I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't look to be growing in his mental game. For me, you know, I think when you start getting out the same way as he is, I mean, like, Borny, if I took myself as an example, one of, one of, people ask you, okay, so you weren't the best looking batter in the world, but what were your strengths? So I understood my strengths and my weaknesses. That was something, you know, I, I, you know if I faced Jimmy, I knew that I would bat on two leg. He was going to try, it's like, you know, the biggest danger for me was LBW. So I had a mindset how I was going to take him on. Broad, maybe the extra bounce. I, I'd want to command off stump a lot more. Um, and, in my innings, I knew that cover driving for me, for example, was something I didn't really want to do early on in my innings. You know, I would cut. I'd look to cut. I'd look to pull. If you were in my channel, I'd you know look to hit the ball back at you or leg side until I was in. So he, 
so when I look at Crawley play, it doesn't look like he's got a mindset of understanding his own game. He just plays. And, mm. and, and I think that's the danger when you say we want to be aggressive and we want to take the game on. You don't actually think about how, you know, and, and I think that's important. Like what's the how of, of, of how you know, we're going to do that? And understanding your own strengths and weaknesses as a batter, in particular a top order batter, top three in the engine room, you have to. You're playing the new ball. I mean, swinging around. You can't just go out there. I mean, Vaughny, as a, as a top order batter, you already fail more than you succeed. One in three, your top, your best batters in the world performed one in three. Am I right? If you look at the stats. Yeah. So dealing with failure is a huge part and understanding your own strengths and weaknesses is key as well. And I, I, when I look at him, he, I, don't think he, I don't think he gets that. And Alex Lee's the left-hander, similar kind of build to yourself. He's, he's trying to play this aggressive game. I mean, I don't know why, if you're going to pick an Alex Lee, pick him to do his job. And, and, you know, South Africa have done that. Sorrel Avia probably would have caught a lot of people by surprise when he was selected in South Africa. He's just, he's just a solid, you know, performer at domestic level here. Never sets the world alight. But, you know, you know what you're going to get from him. He's going to give you 100%. He's going to fight hard. You know, he understands his game a little bit. And his performance in the national side, is he's done his job. He, he does his job more, cons- you know, consistently. And, and him and Dean at the top of the order – you know, they fight hard for every inch that they get, you know, and setting up those platforms and those partnerships in your, in your top three are key, are key, you know. So I, I think it's sometimes it's just if you're picking Alex Lease based on the way that he plays, his record, you know, let him play. Let him play that way, you know, because he'll do his job. He'll allow the Bearstows and the, and the Stokes to eventually play their way because they're getting a better platform every game. And, and that's why when I look at that England lineup, I, I mean, we, obviously he's an incredible player, Joe Root. But I always like to attack the batsmen that I thought had the brain, you know, thought about things a bit more. Because the minute you knock that person over, it exposes the, the attacking player in the lineup that doesn't really like to think. So, you know, when we, we, if it was, he probably, his ego is already bruised at the moment. But KP, for example, if, if we could get Trotter out, that would hold the thing together or Bell that would allow him to play the way that he did, then he was exposed. You know, once we knocked them over, then he had to now say, okay, how do I play? What's the situation? And that's not something that came up from the outside that I wanted to expose him to that often. South Africa cricket's been, you know, a little bit in a, in a turbulent place, but this side looked like they're really on the up and up. No, I mean, South African cricket's been in a turbulent place for a while now, uh, Tuffers, but I think it's been a lot of hard work. I think Bouch has done a great job just keeping his head down and building that team. You know, we when I got involved as director of cricket, we kind of the first six months when COVID hit, we just said, like, let's throw the net as far and wide as we can. Let's try and identify talent. I think in that period, you know, we kitted out 43 people and and I think 32 ended up playing. But we just needed to identify talent that we could then take forward and work with. And I think he's done a great job in growing, growing the squad to where it is now. And I think if you go look, everyone will rave because it's a big series. There's a lot of eyeballs now, this first test against England. But if you go and look over the last sort of year and a half in particular, the consistency has been there, you know, maybe not in one-day cricket, but T20 and, and test cricket, their performances have been, you know, really solid. I mean, beating India... The number one team here in South Africa, you know, was a, was a huge thing for them. Um, and then now, you know, the confidence has just grown. The player group has just grown. So I think there's, there's now a nice quality group of talented cricketers around. 
I always get a little bit nervous when I watch us bat. I think we can always develop that more. But nice batch of bowlers coming through, good spin options. Uh, and, yeah, if the batting can just become more consistent, there's, 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 there's a good, good period ahead. Now you talk about uh, South African cricket having had a tricky patch. A lot of that's obviously down to finances. Part of it's COVID as well. Um, you're involved in this new T20 league. Um, and you've said recently that South Africa have essentially had to produce its own league because it sort of risked losing players if it didn't. So I mean, how, how, to what extent was South Africa compelled by its finances to set up this league? I think financially, there was absolutely no doubt that it had to had to get something going. I mean, what you don't want is that effectively South Africa starts to rely on ICC grant payments and you know fades away from the world game. Um, so I think that South Africa had to find a seat at the table in terms of developing its own product that uh, it could own uh, and develop and grow into the future. So you know now it can protect its, itself. And invest in the grassroots much more now. Bring the player group through. You know, I think not only will this, you know, the type of owners we've got in this league, they'll bring a professionalism, you know, a quality of personnel, experience, uh, coaching, you know, even medical, and an investment into grassroots that will benefit South African cricket from a player perspective into the into the future. I think also, you know, South Africa as a country is not sitting in a similar position to England, Australia, uh, India, effectively. You know, free agency is a huge issue for us. I mean, if I, I was just looking the other day, I started to think how many players we would have lost to the UAE League if we didn't develop, uh, you know, our own league. You know, we would we would have lost definitely our top players, maybe even a number of domestic players. So, you know, for that now we keep our local talent in our game. There's an opportunity for them financially, and you know, uh, a huge platform as well. So, I think from that perspective, it was it was important. Um, so, yeah, we're excited to have it up and, and going. It's a lot of work at the moment. We launch in Jan and, yeah. Hopefully and with, and with these franchises popping up all over the place, how do you ensure that your league stands out and, most importantly, I guess, attracts the best players? Well, I think, you know, fortunately in South Africa, like England, there's a, there's a bit of a cricket culture. We've got a fan base. We've got, you know, stadiums. Um, Already, you can feel the interest in something like this. We're very fortunate with the six partners that we've attracted; that they they're very credible and strong brands within the cricket landscape, and certainly on the franchise. So they they also have the ability to sustain, you know, the longevity of the league and and build with us. And that was something that was was important. Um, but always, always comes down to the quality of cricket. Yes, you can have all the entertainment in the world, but you know, it will always come down to the quality of the cricket. We we we're fortunate that. The South African player base will, will take up a huge, uh, you know, amount of that, and will invest in those players. Um, but also the quality of internationals. We, we, we're fortunate to have a number of Englishmen, uh, for example. You know, some of the top talent there and, and around the world, which you know just adds to the flavour of the contest. Uh, Smithy, just um, I notice your role is the commissioner. <laughs> <laughs> what, 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 does the, what does the commissioner do? So no, it's, it's falling out of the lullabies, you know. I, well, basically, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm effectively, you know, Vaughn, something you'll understand is I'm probably CEO, but, uh, you know, the, 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 the shareholders thought, you know, the commissioner sounded more fancy for some of us. Lots of Ferrero. a signal on your roof. <laughs> and as the commissioner, just tell us, which of the players were the hardest to get over to play in your league? <laughs> Oh, let me tell you that that was a flipping nightmare. Um, 
because at the time we were busy running the process with an audit firm here to secure to close down the the bid process of the six teams and you know unfortunately cricket south africa has trialed this i don't know at least twice uh, and it's failed so the legacy issues of that you know up against some of the the other nations who are offering big money new leagues offering big money you know players are in a position where they they had the options to choose you know so trying to overcome those legacy issues was difficult um to to get players to believe that this would be a success was was difficult um but fortunately in that period we had a number of players and you know once we started to get some big names on board uh, it really made life life easier morning so it, it, in all it was a nightmare uh you know you know closing some some big players was key to you know, it's like a herd mentality as well. Once you get one or two in and they believe in it, it, it does start to to go from there. But listen, I, I, if I never have to deal with a player agent again, I'll be a happy man. <laughs> um, obviously, that's T20. I mean, t- talking about the future of Test cricket, the next uh, four-year block of fixtures has just been unveiled by the ICC. South Africa is due to play 28 tests and 22 of those are going to be in 11-2 match series. England, by contrast, are playing 43. I mean, obviously, I would assume that test cricket is your first love. How, how disappointing is it to you that South Africa is playing that few tests over the next four years? Yeah, look, I need to understand that we, we well, personally played no role in that FTP. So I need to speak to the CEO there and figure out what was the focus points in terms of putting that FTP together. Um, yeah, I mean, I, our league is four weeks of a of an entire year, so it, it can't be, you know, the entire reason. Um, so we need to see, I need to figure out, you know, what were his pressure points uh, and why that was the case. Um, obviously, you would love to see more test cricket, especially with our, I think now you can feel the emotions. Yeah, you know, suddenly everyone's on board with our team doing well and, you know, close to qualifying for the World Test Championship final. Uh, and it's a great story from where they've come from. So, you know, hopefully that one or two of those things can be fixed. I just think in general, the bilateral series is, there needs to be, you know, some, some adults in the room and try and figure out how to take that forward. You know, I think, uh, and, and just on, on, I mean, Vaughan, even in our, even in our playing days, England always played more tests in South Africa. I mean, in, in an England, in an England cycle, we would play 15 tests maybe, uh, you know, in, 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 a, in a period, but you know, it, it, it is obviously a lot less now than, than it has been in the past. But I think in general, bilateral cricket needs an important discussion. There's too many of these makeup series now that get thrown in, you know, that have no contest uh, context. Even the ICC in itself is becoming a more events-based uh, operation with a world event every year. So you can see where the focus is starting to shift. So I think there does need to be a conversation in, in terms of how it goes forward. Yeah, do you think do you think Test cricket's under threat, Graham? I I don't think it's under threat. Uh, toughest between top competitive nations. I think you're never gonna. I, I I mean I can't. And I mean with this all respect. I mean how many people are gonna want to go and sit in a stadium and watch? I don't know two of the associate nations play a Test match. You know. I, I, but it, you know these big contests that we saw at Lords the other day, or the Ashes, or India firing up against Australia, you know, I think that people always have interest in, in in that part of the game. But the ability to grow test cricket outside those core nations, I think, is is a huge problem. I know you said uh, the other day on television, you think it'll go down to a, a, a six-nation competition test match cricket. 
So when do you think that'll happen and how do you see that'll kind of look in terms of, will there just be one league? Well, Borny, I mean, I think it's inevitable. I don't know when, you never know when these things are going to happen. But I mean, it does seem like there's a bit of a momentum in world cricket pushing a certain direction, you know. And that's why there, there needs to be some some really solid conversations that happen uh, in terms of navigating these spaces. But I, I can't see how test cricket in itself now grows outside those top five or six nations. It's just, you know, just in theory... Even here in South Africa, if we're hosting in England, it's very different to us hosting a, a Holland or, a, you know, even with respect to a Bangladesh or a Zimbabwe, it's just it's just the way the public views it. You know, it's just okay, England, Australia, India, even Pakistan, they yeah, now 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 it's going to be a great summer, you know, and and that's the problem that the world of cricket has, uh, and now what's happening is the T20 franchises are getting stronger. There's more investment in the game at that level. And it's going to be interesting to see guys like a Devolt Brevis or maybe a Will Jacks or I don't know. You know, Brevis is now with um, MI in two two campaigns. Does he look to sign in four? You know, uh, would that become his primary contract? I, I don't know. You know, these are the things that are going to be interesting to see over the next period of time. Uh, Smithy, I mean, Ravi Shastri uh, spoke on the podcast about the 50-over format. It, it, it's, it, it, it's pretty much dying, isn't it? There's not enough in the in the 12 months of the calendar to have franchise leagues, uh, ICC events, test cricket and 50 over cricket. One format has to go, doesn't it? It does, Vaughn, but I, I, like, I guess the conversation that needs to be had is, does, okay, one day cricket is now in focus. Um, I always thought that when T20 was going from strength to strength, I always thought that one day cricket uh, would, even when I was playing, I thought it would, you know, get less and less, but it, it it never did for a long period of time. It still stayed pretty strong. It is obviously the, the main World Cup format. But, I mean, does T20 need to be an international format? That's also a question for me. Should it be a domestic-based format and, and maybe you can play a World Cup kind of like a football model um, and then you can focus on tests and ODIs and, and you know, I, I don't know. These are the debates that need to be thrown around the table. You know, with, with franchise c- cricket getting strong, should international cricket play T20 outside a world event? You know, those, I guess, and then one day cricket, you know, what's the context of it? You know, building to a World Cup. Uh, you know, if you look at broadcast rights now, I think there's there's much more offered for T20s than there is for any other format. So, you know, you, you, nations that are struggling financially will, will start focusing on making decisions based on finance rather than, you know, I guess the core product of the game. So these are all things that need to be, you know, solved. And everyone's got different challenges. The ECB, you know, Australia, India, they'll have different problems to uh, New Zealand, South Africa, you know, and, and the likes. West Indies. Graham, you, you, you don't realize, on this podcast, uh, Phil um, will give you very simple, Graham. It's either or. <laughs> Phil, Phil will give you two options and you must choose one. These are always my worst, but Phil, coming from you, I can only imagine what's coming my way now. No, no, they're all good, mate. They're all good. Here we go. First one, quite simply, beating England or beating Oz. Which would you further which would you fancy? Listen, I'm gonna say Oz. <laughs> is that is that because beating England was too easy? <laughs> yeah, I mean it was a tough one to answer, but I just think it's like after fielding six hours a day in Australia and, and then having then winning, it's just, it's a wonderful feeling. Eh? 
Right, second one. Um, 277 at Edgbaston or your 259 at Lords? Uh, I'd probably go to the Lords, 259, because Ness dropped me on nine as well. <laughs> <laughs> what? That was a goober, wasn't it? Cover point. <laughs> Broke his finger. It's a little lollipop. <laughs> He broke his finger doing that as well. And that was that was back to back double centuries. You're I think only four people have ever done that in test history. Yeah. yeah, I mean it was Vaughan's first test as well, which added to the feeling, you know, and uh <laughs> yeah, it was look, I think, you know, doing it at Lords, even coming back then now and reliving the experience, seeing your banner up there, just experiencing Lords in itself for a test match is something uh, incredible. So yeah, I mean, I guess the the whole thing around that just made that amazing. Also, going past Don Bradman, which I wasn't even aware of, but you know, those are things you look back on. Um, you know, special moments in your career. Yeah, not half, mate, not half. And then we've got a, a nice glass of South African red or a nice pint of South African beer. Nah, red wine for me. Red wine all day long, all day long, and then the final one here, mate, quite a straight, uh, a straightforward one, and I'm sure I, you you know this one. Um, seeing off NASA or seeing off Vaughn? <laughs> <laughs> oh, listen, I have to say NASA. Vaughn was Vaughn, and I still enjoy a pint and a few laughs. So. Well, Graham, thank you very much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure to uh, chat to you. Thank you so much. No, I appreciate it. It's good to catch up. Great chatting to Graham Smith there. Great for um, talking about his his career. Obviously, Mike, someone you played up played against regularly, he must have sort of loomed large uh, in your <laughs> thinking during your career. Uh, what was it like to come up against him? Oh, he was... Um... Uh, as I said in the interview about the, the amount of minutes we spent working out how to bowl to it, do we go wide of our stump? He doesn't hit it through the offside. And then eventually we realised that we needed to bowl straight to him and pack the leg side and almost accept that he would hit it nicely to the leg side and hope that he missed one. And we'd get him out LBW. He clipped one to short mid-wicket. Um, he was an incredible leader. You know, he had great presence. You know, he was very powerful. Never took a step back whether it was to NASA, to me, to Andrew Strauss. He never took a step back. But when we first started, and, and, and I got him when he was a, you know, a young captain, he was very verbal, he was very aggressive, probably said a few things that he regretted. Uh, and the more I played against him, the more so we started to become quite good pals. You know, So from 2002-03 to 2004-05 in, in South Africa, where we managed to get a victory, uh, which gave us momentum leading into 05. Uh, to then the series that I resigned from in 2008, we became really good pals about you know the game, knowing that you know, being a, a captain of a country is a, a huge position. But I always say to, to captain England's pressurised, but to captain South Africa, you know, with all the politics that goes on in South African sport, it, it's remarkable. And to think that he did it 108 Test matches, starting at 22. Uh, and, and to do that batting, opening the batting, not hiding in the middle, going out facing the first ball and averaging pretty much 50. Yeah. Um, a remarkable kind of person and, and a great guy. As you, as you could have got the feeling on the pot, he's got a great character, great um, great uh, 
lots of humour. Yeah. He likes to have a load of fun. He's a, I think in his time he's been a bit of a cheeky chappy. <laughs> um, and now he's the commissioner. He's finishing his life as a commissioner of the, the new T20 League in South Africa. Now he's a great guy. Great, great to have him on the pod. Yeah. I mean, the, the innings for me that stands out in the 2008, 2009 uh, series against Australia, final test, he broke his hand in the first yes. innings. And he comes out in the second innings, Australia nine wickets down, um, bats at 11 against Mitchell Johnson. And he has to last something like 30 balls, I think, and he got to 17. Um, and there were sort of five minutes to go and he would have saved the game. So he didn't quite didn't quite save the game. But the point was, they South Africa had already won the series. But nevertheless, he's he's doing everything he can to try and make sure that he saves that game. Yeah, I mean, he's a tough cookie. Yeah. Um, you know, he's the typical leader that led from the front. You know, he wouldn't have asked any of his players to do anything that he wouldn't do himself. Um, you know, I think over the years, he got tactically very, very good at captaincy. I think when he first started, like everyone who starts out in captaincy, you're a little bit naive and you're not quite sure how to play certain situations. He alludes to that with Ben Stokes. And over the years that you do it, you get a little bit wiser, a little bit uh, more kind of in with what needs to happen at certain times in the test match. Uh, and, and you know also how to play the mental card on certain players. And I love the fact he, he used to target the, the engine, you know, the, the player. So he would target, as it looked like South Africa had targeted Joe Root at Lords, got him out cheaply twice, won the test match. And yeah. uh, again, that's a, a very typical South African way of going about it. You know, not being too worried about the flamboyant players, but if you can get rid of the glue, the real rock, um, that's going to go a long way to, to, to give you side a lot of success. Yeah, great to have him on. Talked about the hundred last week. Said it hadn't really got going. Phil, you were you were down at Cardiff last oh, night, weren't you? Bit of a nasty one down at Cardiff. The Welsh Fire uh, men <laughs> and ladies haven't won a game. I don't think yeah. it's been a bit tricky for them. Yeah. And see it now. It's tough. I was down there. They were they were three down for one run within a blink of an eye. Managed to get themselves to a bit of a score. It was 120 odd and then and then the, the, um, Sterling and the cock just came out and blasted it off. So uh, another disappointing uh, 100 for the Welsh Fire. There's lots of work to do down there. It wasn't a, it wasn't a great match all in all. I was watching on TV. The women's game was good. Sophia Dunkley, uh, friend of the pod, uh, yes. played very nicely in the women's match. Got forty nine off forty three in the drizzle. Um, but the men's match, it was kind of over in yeah. the first spell. George yeah. George Garson got those, as you say, three wickets and seven balls, and yeah. that effectively was that. Yeah, someone someone came up to me at Lords actually. Uh, I mean, I'm 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 enjoying the hundred, and I'm looking forward to it now. And it's starting to sort of like build to a sort of crescendo now that the eliminators are away. And it's just as well the Southern Brave did win yeah. that. Now they haven't got a chance if they win every single game and qualify. But someone came up to me. He said, "I've never seen a game with so much action and so little drama." <laughs> <laughs> I sort of, yeah. I sort of, sort of went. Well, yeah. I mean, because there were sixes and wickets going everywhere, but it just didn't sort of, it didn't ignite, as you say. It was done. It was done in the first three balls. And it might, I'm trying to remember. Was Southern Brave your tip to win it? Uh, it probably was because they won it last year. Um, I think I might have mentioned Manchester Originals as well. There's a bit of an outsider there coming up the rails. Uh, it's getting down to the, the nitty-gritty stage, isn't it? 
that you have to win in, get to those qualifications, get to the final. Um, look, if you're there and, and you're buzzing in the ground and there's great crowds, it's fantastic. I just yeah. don't know why it's not seemed to have traction this year. There doesn't seem to be as much uh, on social media. There doesn't seem to be as much in terms of uh, uh, column inches, you know, in the papers. I, I don't know what it is. I don't know what's been missing, but it certainly doesn't well, We know seem- what's been missing. Sweet Caroline. They are stubborn and they won't do it. They decided they're not going to do it and they won't do it. It's pathetic. Get it back. Right, that's about all we have time for today. Thanks to Mike and Phil, as always. A special thanks to Graham Smith for his time, too. We wish him luck in his role as Commissioner of South Africa's new T20 League. Three of us are back next Wednesday. Hopefully, we'll be discussing a more positive result for England in the second test with South Africa. In the meantime, you can check out last week's episode with Sir Geoffrey Boycott. It was a cracker. That's on the Vaughan and Tuffers Cricket Club channel. He had plenty to say on the current England setup from top to bottom as well as some fascinating stories from his own career. A reminder, you can get in touch with us on Twitter or by email. The address is cricketclub at telegraph.co.uk. Thank you for listening to this episode and make sure to subscribe to stay up to date. Until next week, goodbye. This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc.,